Hello, this is Bill Sleese. Welcome to the latest episode of Season 3 of Legal Wellbeing in Action. Today's episode, Affordable Wellbeing, is another installment of this year's theme, Wellbeing a Deeper Dive. For this episode, I speak with Hannah Bell, a lawyer, an accredited financial consultant and coach, and the founder of Bottom Line Personal Finance. Hannah talks about the challenges lawyers face when equating happiness with the accumulation of money, the stress associated with believing that you never have enough, particularly in the face of debt and an idealized lifestyle, the freedom that can result from taking inventory of your core values and reconciling your relationship with money to align it with those values, and how making informed, intentional choices about how and how much money you earn and spend can give you greater satisfaction and improve your overall well-being. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoy this episode. Hello, and thank you again for joining us. Um, this is Bill Sleese, and today I'm joined by Hannah Bell, um, and we're going to talk about uh, a topic that maybe doesn't get a lot of airplay in the well-being space. But before we get to the topic, Hannah, tell us just a little about yourself. And by the way, thank you so much for joining us. I know you've got a lot going on, um, both home and work-wise, but Maybe just for those people who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, let us know who you are and kind of what you're doing these days. Thanks, Bill. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me on and um, giving this opportunity to talk about this difficult subject. Um, my name is Hannah Bell. I am a 2016 UNM School of Law grad. Um, I practiced law for five years before stepping away and I started a financial wellness coaching practice. Um, and that really stemmed out of an experience I had. Um, and, and now that's what I'm doing full time. Um, as you can see, I also have a, a new baby. I don't know if I can call him a newborn anymore. He's three and a half months old and I have a two-year-old. So my hands are full at home and, um, and working, doing, doing this thing that I just love so much and I'm feeling so passionately about. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's great. And that's really what we were um, excited to have an opportunity to to talk to you about Hannah because, you know, when we we've been doing the the well being work now for several years and these podcasts we're in our our third season, um, and we've talked a lot in the well being space about what I'd call sort of the traditional issues and things that lawyers face, right? So are you getting exercise? Are you getting sleep? What kind of things are stressing lawyers? And we talk about substance abuse and the pressures of the job and compassion fatigue and secondary trauma and all of those things. But I, I think one issue that um, I myself probably had overlooked in until you and I had this conversation and I realized, wow, that touches something pretty deep in me in terms of one of my insecurities and stressors. Um, and that's financial health, financial well-being, financial stress. Um, and, you know, you made the move from the um, practice the private practice, active practice of law, to now the active practice of financial well-being, financial coaching, that sort of practice, and and so I think it's a, a topic that will actually resonate with a lot of lawyers, um, because probably um, like many of us, I think you and I started down the law school path for some of the same reasons. Tell us a little bit about sort of your thinking when you were thinking, I you know, I'm going to go I'm going to go to law school because I know it was the same thought process I had. I was was working in a job. It was okay, um, but I had this notion that there was something more, and that's something more related to finances. Tell us about your journey. Yeah, so I have an undergraduate degree in economics. Um, when I finished 
college, I didn't really know what to do. I sort of saw two paths available to me. I could become a doctor or a lawyer. And those two paths really felt available because they were professions that I saw as earning a good living. And that was really important to me. Um, I grew up really pretty middle class. Um, I never felt that way. Um, my dad was a general contractor and he worked really long, hard hours. And my mom, she'd always kind of take these odd jobs to help uh, sort of support the family finances. And I watched their conversations be very tense around money. So when I looked at careers, I looked at careers that I saw would be lucrative. That was really important to me. I wanted to not feel tension. I wanted to know that things would be okay. And so I, I chose to become a lawyer for that reason. I don't think there was a lot of passion for the law, if I'm really honest. It was something that I saw as um, a solid career. I saw lawyers as being admired um, as sort of a prestigious career. And the people I knew who were lawyers were financially very successful. So it was appealing to me for those reasons. Right. And there's there's sort of this notion that if I have more money, I'm going to be happier. My stresses are going to be less. Um, life is going to be all good and roses. And, you know, and my experience um, in my childhood was much the same. Um, my mom um, worked in a, um, a job that was sort of on the lower end of the pay scale. Um, and my dad always seemed to have work, but was always a job or two away from doing something different. And uh -huh. um, even as a kid, I sort of absorbed that notion around money, that uh, money's a big deal. Um, money can make you really happy, or that's what I thought, right? Or, or the lack of it can make you really, really stressed. Um, and I think you talk about it in terms of, you know, a paycheck or two away from being seriously strained, it's a financial strain. And um, for me, I, somehow I internalize that to, I'm a paycheck or two away from being, you know, living on the streets. Um, and so like you, the idea of, well, I'm going to find a career where I can be really financially successful and then I'll be happy, right? I sort of put those two together. I think it was kind of that same journey. Um, but, but what did you actually find out once, I know what I found out in the real world, what did, what did you find out? Yeah, well, and Bill, there's some really interesting things about what you just said. Um, most of our beliefs around money, we believe, are formed by the time we're seven. So really early in life, we are creating this lifelong path about what, what our money beliefs are. And that's just by observing those people around us, our parents, our community, our caregivers. And that can be really, it can be really damaging for our self-esteem and, and what we end up doing. Um, so that's one part of it. Um, the other thing that's really interesting is that there's a lot of research that people even earning high livings over $100,000 a year, which is, a, at least in our state, a pretty good earning, 50% um, of those people are living paycheck to paycheck. So there is that stress. So for, so for me, um, you asked what I, what I experienced, what I learned. I, I went to law school. I finished law school. I had um, student loans from going to law school, and my husband and I bought a car. So together, we had $90,000 of debt. And we became lawyers, both of us, and our salary was not what we thought. Here we are, two lawyers earning less than $100,000 a year combined. So it was this huge awakening, one, that 
that maybe the money wasn't in the career as I thought it was. And I know that there's kind of a spectrum of that depending on the work you do. Um, but also suddenly we did have money more than we'd ever had. And I didn't feel any happier. I was not happy as a lawyer. Um, and I think a lot of that was just financial stress. I equated money with sort of being worthy. And I thought once I was earning a living, I'd kind of know what I was doing, which as lawyers, that's a really <laughs> hard thing to ever feel super confident as um, or in what you're doing. So for me, it was this huge awakening that, wow, I reached this goal that I had that I thought would kind of check this box and make me feel good and secure, and it didn't. Right. And I, I, you mentioned that you had an undergraduate degree in economics. I actually had a degree in finance. And, and one of the things I found when it came to, um, to finances and money is exactly what you just described, right? So I started working as an associate at a firm and I was making okay money, certainly much less than $100,000. So I had, the same, I had the same experience you had, which is, wow, that maybe this isn't as lucrative a career as I thought, at least not right now. And yet I've got this debt. And at that point, like you, I had a, a young family at home um, and a spouse who had to work or we weren't going to make ends meet. Um, and at the same time, sort of had this notion in my head, well, I'm not actually managing the money I make very well either. Mm -hmm. Right. So I'm making a little more than I've ever made in my life, but I'm not managing it well. And yet I have this degree in finance. And I couldn't admit to anybody, I, I don't know what the hell to do. I should know this, right? I'm a smart, you know, quote, smart lawyer. Yeah. I have a degree in finance. I should be able to manage all this and be, and be doing fine with this. And that causes that stress, that internalization of, wow, not only do I not know what I'm doing as a lawyer, I don't know what the hell I'm doing as a person. Um, yeah. and, and that creates that internal conflict, that internal stress. Um, and so somehow we have to find a way to figure that out. Tell us about that path for you. How did you get from, you know, I've got that that sort of almost imposter syndrome that's built around not just every lawyer, I think, has that early in practice, whether they admit it or not, but then you combine it with, I've got this financial stress and I'm supposed to know about finances. I'm an economics major, for God's sakes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a really big deal. You know, when when I finished law school, and I know my husband has sort of touched on this experience as well, suddenly everyone you know comes to you and says, you're a lawyer, you know how to do everything, <laughs> which uh, we, we don't have an easy time admitting that we don't know how to do everything. And I think there's so much wrapped up in that. There's our, our professional license is on the line if we aren't competent. Um, that's very scary. That is how we make our living. And so acknowledging that you don't know something is really tough. And I think it's extra difficult for lawyers to do. So I, yeah, like you said, I have this degree in economics. I sort of just assumed I would know what to do. And then I didn't. And we were sort of living paycheck to paycheck, kind of feeling that way. And what we realized was that we didn't have kids at the time, but we realized that we needed two incomes to live. We both had to work to pay our bills every month. And we sort of had this realization that just making more money, like you said, we didn't know how to manage it. So just making more of it wasn't going to solve our problems. So we focused on what we valued. And, and one of the things that we really strongly valued was the ability to have one person not have to work, to have that option, to have those choices. Um, and we wanted to be able to live on one income. So that was our goal. So I, I have always, always loved money topics. Um, 
I used to help my dad when I was little. He had an office upstairs at our house and I would trudge upstairs in my little like princess high heels and help him balance his checkbook. I loved that. I was little, like maybe seven, six or seven. And I loved that. He'd show me how to use QuickBooks. So I've always sort of had this affinity um, for money and, and working with it. So I just started when we realized we couldn't live on one income, it took both of our incomes to get by. I just started learning everything I could about personal finance. And, you know, so much of the advice out there is to make more money. It's make more money, be wealthy. Money is good, which money is not bad at all. Um, But the advice wasn't something that was helping me get to feeling safer or more secure or, or more well financially. So we just started um, really diving into what we cared about. And one of the things we realized that was causing us to need two incomes was the debt that we had. So we set this goal to pay off all of our debt. And that really made it so that we had to focus on what we valued. In order to pay off that debt, we could only have things we really cared about in our budget. So within two years, we paid off $90,000 of debt, which was all of my student loans and the car we bought. And then we were able to live on one income, which was really the goal. That was the thing that we valued so much. And we knew that if that was possible, we could really have different choices available to us in our life. Yeah, that's amazing. And and you know what comes through so loudly to me in what you just talked about is is actually a theme that I've heard in some of the other well-being spaces uh, and some of the podcasts and the work we've done. We have a friend who's really active in this community who talks about being very intentional with how you handle your own internal well-being, right? Mm -hmm. And and that can be whether you're intentional about um, carving out time for exercise or you're intentional about taking um, a tech holiday uh, at seven o'clock every night until seven Mm -hmm. the next morning. And what I hear from you was... I had this stress associated with money. Um, the the sort of conventional answer is make more of it. Um, and what you stopped instead and turned around and sort of faced it and started thinking intentionally about your value systems and your choices um, and and set goals for yourself and, and really addressed it in a very thoughtful um, sort of reflective way and and how'd that turn out for you? It sounds like it turned out well. $90,000 in two years is is amazing. But more importantly, how are you feeling? It was truly the most transformational thing that's happened in my life. It was just like you said, it was, it was bringing attention and intention to something that I hadn't given thought to before. And truly, it's become almost this mindfulness practice now. I think... Um, Every purchase I make is through this lens of, does this really bring joy to my life? Does this add value in a way that, that makes me happier? Does, it, does a purchase align with my values? Does it help me achieve my goals? Because a lot of times, and I see this with a lot of my clients, we spend really mindlessly. We spend on things for convenience a lot of times or emotionally. Emotional spending is a really big deal or just out of habit, something kind of cues us that we should buy something else and then we buy it and it's not thoughtful. And so for me, this has transformed my, um, my diet. It has transformed how I manage time. It has transformed 
really how I think about what I bring into my life because money is this energy or currency that allows for all of this. And so it's been truly this very intentional, mindful practice that has developed by, by looking at how we spend our money. Yeah, and I love that you describe it that way because you you hit the nail on the head, certainly for me for a long time, the idea of emotional spending, and even still sometimes, right? It's like I'm feeling a little off. Um, the state bar is not too far from uh, Cabela's outdoor store. And I'll, you know, I'll love to run down there and just sort of browse. And of course, they always catch me with the end caps of something that I think is shiny that, oh, I must have. And uh, when you stop and take that sort of intentional look at it, do I really want this? Is it really going to bring some value to my to my life, right? Is it going to bring me joy? Or is it just sort of this impulse, emotional purchase to sort of make me feel good in the moment? And a week from now, it'll be on the shelf and I'll never think about it. Exactly. Uh, I, I think that I think that's exactly right. And I think you know, you talk about it in the in a um, the paper that you wrote for us, and we're going to publish with your uh, your podcast. But you talk about that notion of equating status with more, like being able to show off that I have more, 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 more. And certainly, um, culturally and society-wide, um, we sort of uh, almost applaud that notion that you can show off all of your goods. And I think that idea of stopping and, and taking stock and inventory of what's really making me happy, what's enriching my life, um, it, it changes that whole relationship with money. No longer is money good or bad. It's a means to an end, and that end is bringing yourself really true contentment, joy, something you need. I mean, there's obviously the the stuff you have to have. You got to buy food, right? But the the those other discretionary purchases are these things that are going to improve my life, make me feel happier. Absolutely, and, and you know, when I'm working with clients, we sort of dream like what what their dream life would look like, and almost everyone I have ever worked with, their dream life is to have freedom and choice. And so often when we start looking at how we're spending, the way we spend actually limits our freedom and choice. When we equate more, I mean, it's just thinking about this, you know, when we buy a bigger house, because that's what we're supposed to do, we're supposed to have this big flashy house, um, suddenly we probably have to hire someone to help clean it because it's too big to take care of ourselves. And then if we have to have, you know, two cars that are very nice to put in the garage, and then we also have to have um, at some point, like new windows and a new roof, like all of these things just end up costing more and they restrict our freedom in the long run because we need to be earning more to support that. So when we actually start looking at what it is we want, a lot of times the way we're spending doesn't match what we truly care about. Right, right. You're getting the, the horse back in front of the cart to use sort of an old tired metaphor instead of the way we, we generally live, right, which is we're just constantly chasing it. Um, and, yeah, exactly. and, and never going to get there. Um, I, I, I love it. Um, so you did more than just sort of turn this in internally and, and figured out how to take some of that stress away to find more joy in your life. You're actually doing this now for a living. Tell us a little bit about that. How did you get to that space? I started talking to other people about what I was doing. I was telling um, my peers, um, other professionals, sort of this transformation I was having. And, you know, when we paid off $90,000 of debt in that two-year period, it also meant we had that much money ongoing to do other things we cared about, which was really life-changing in the way I thought about that. You know, we actually can have all this money to invest or save or whatever it is we care about, we now have because we're being intentional. And so I started telling other people about this. 
And um, had a lot of peers and other professionals come to me and say, wow, how did you do that? What, what is going on that you figured this out? And so that's when I thought like, wow, this is something big that other people need. And what I also started observing was a lot of these people I was talking to, a lot of these people I started talking to were not happy in the careers that they were in, but they were feeling really trapped because of money that they had sort of the golden handcuffs they'd gotten through law school or through whatever professional school, medical school, um, architecture school, whatever it was, they had gotten there and now they had to keep working, but they were really unhappy in what they were doing. And when they started that career journey, you know, a lot of my law school peers wanted to be legal aid lawyers or public defenders, but ended up doing billable work because that's what would support the lifestyle that they'd created and, and frankly pay off a lot of the student loans that we take on. Um, so I just started hearing this kind of over and over and over with people and um, realized it was something I felt so passionately about. And there was this passion in it that I never felt in the law. Um, and so it was something that I thought, wow, if everybody could sort of feel this passion about the work they're doing and be able to do it not for money, but because they love it, what a wonderful place we could live in. People were working because they truly enjoyed what they were doing, not because they were acquiring more stuff. Right. And so you, you ended up in this space where now you're serving as a, a financial um, coach and helping people think intentionally, think about their value system, sort of travel that same journey that you traveled. Um, and not necessarily that they're going to come to the same conclusions, um, but they're being thoughtful about it. They're being intentional about it, which is really in any well-being journey what we're hoping for. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I want to finish with a, a quote right from your paper, if, if that's okay, um, because sure. I, I just loved it. It's, it's the last line in, in your paper, and it says, ultimately, true wealth lies not in the amount of money we accumulate, but in the freedom and choices it affords us and the relationships and experiences that give our lives meaning. I think that just says it so perfectly, right? It, it encapsulates exactly what we've been talking about today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bill. I'm really grateful we got to have this conversation. Uh, as am I, and it's always good to, to see you, and uh, congratulations on the, on the new one, and um, I'm sure we'll be talking again in the near future. Thanks so much, Hannah. Thank you, Bill. Thank you for listening. This episode was produced by the State Bar of New Mexico's Wellbeing Committee and the New Mexico Judges and Lawyers Assistance Program. All editing and sound mixing was done by Blue Sky Ewer. Intro music is by Gil Flores. The views of the presenters are that of their own and are not endorsed by the State Bar of New Mexico. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, or legal advice. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.